everyone. Welcome back to the Queen of Calm podcast. I'm your host, Paisley Haddad. So for today's introduction, I'm just keeping things short and sweet. So if you're not following us already on Instagram, follow us at Queen of Calm podcast and at Queen of Calm pod on Twitter. There I post all of my upcoming guest announcements. I post clips from new episodes every Wednesday, as well as news, posts, and more. So be sure to follow us on there. And if you're feeling generous and you're enjoying the Queen of Calm podcast, be sure to head over to Apple Podcasts and Spotify and leave us a five-star review. It's on my bucket list to at least be like one of the in the thousands places on one of the charts on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. So if you leave us a review, it would truly mean a lot to me in the podcast because it can help me achieve my goal. And if you want to be on the Queen of Calm podcast, head to the link in our Instagram bio or to anchor.fm slash podcast slash message, and you could leave us a voicemail that could be used on the show. So whether you have a question for me or my guests, you have a comment about a topic we talked about on a past episode or a new topic that you would like us to talk about on an episode, be sure to leave it all there. Um, and finally, as for today's episode, I'm very excited for you to hear from my guest. She is so awesome in the work she does in the unique way that she is living out her passion for communications. So be sure to stay tuned for the interview. My next guest is a PR professional who has been featured on the Food Network and in major publications for her baking skills and now uses her past experiences in sports and entertainment PR to help bakers and wedding pros increase media coverage and brand recognition. Please welcome Justine Martin to the podcast. Welcome, Justine. Hi, how are you? I'm good. How are you? Good. Thank you. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show today. And why don't we get started with how you first got interested in communications? So I, communications was not something that I, I sought out. Um, I actually was looking at going at a, going to a particular school and uh, I was looking at what, what they had available and there was a few programs and it was something I had never really heard of. I hadn't heard of public relations. And once I started looking into what the program actually entailed, I was like, oh, all of this stuff actually speaks to me. And I feel like this would be a good fit. And then I, I started my, my program. I don't know how, how long ago that was. And, uh, and it was a perfect fit right off the hop. That's awesome. And yeah, I feel like no, nobody that I've talked to so far on the podcast has ever sought out to do PR right from the get-go. I feel like we need some more PR for earlier on in people's lives to hear about PR. Right. It's definitely not something that, uh, that anybody who's, you know, at eight years old is running around being like, <laughs> I want to be a PR professional. Like, I want to be a lawyer or a doctor. You know, I want to own a business or whatever, but nobody's talking about communications in there. Definitely. And so you touched on your college program. So what was your time in college like and how did that lead you to what you do today? So that was really great. I actually I went to Conestoga College for a degree in public relations. That's um, in Ontario. I'm from Canada. And um, it was it was a really fantastic program. It was actually the very first year I was part of the inaugural class that it was offered as a degree. Uh, public relations only, I think, is offered as a degree in about five, sorry, three cities in Canada, um, three colleges in Canada. So it was a really exciting program and it was a super small cohort. Uh, I went through, I think we started with like 40 people. We finished with 25 or so. And so we had, it was the exact same people in every single class, even in most of our electives. 
and we had a group of like four professors and it was really great to have a super hands-on experience with them and uh, and I found it was really nice to kind of meld the university and the college experience together we had a lot of the theoretical I learned you know why people act the way they do and how we incorporate that into marketing and public relations but I also learned a lot of the strategy behind um, the strategy and the tactical uh, efforts behind how we implement a PR campaign which I found some of my um, colleagues who took communications lacked until they got into the workforce so it was a really great experience going through um, university there. Yeah, that's so awesome. And I can totally agree with you on that, you know, having a small, you know, more hands on experience. I went to a, a small liberal arts college, not as small as 25 people, but <laughs> de- <laughs> definitely a smaller number than some of the bigger colleges. And I feel like having that connection, like you were talking about with professors and your classmates really helped. And even like going into the workforce now, I feel like I can call on any of my classmates like, hey, remember when we worked on this and like, remember everyone by name. So that's so valuable. A hundred percent. And the other aspect of my, my college that was really great was there was a lot of practical knowledge that uh, we went through. So almost every single project, particularly in the last two years was with a real client. So we got a lot of very, very hands-on experience, a lot of good feedback from clients experience um, with some of the objections that clients have to public relations issues or public relations strategy. And so I felt like I was much better prepared than a lot of my peers going into the workforce. And it was really great. Oh, yeah, definitely. I feel like in our curriculum as PR students and communication students, we have such a well, former students, <laughs> we have such like a gap in our learning to do those experiences and get real hands-on work, internships, and working with clients, because that's just what we got to do, like jump into it. And um, I work with my student-run agency and we work with nonprofit clients while in college. And so I can definitely agree with that as well of getting that experience because, you know, you can only learn so much in the classroom. I feel like we took PR writing and, you know, we learned about all those different strategies, but once you put it into practice, it's like, wow, like I really see how this works. Exactly. You got to know that, you know, stuff comes up that you're not going to anticipate. And when it's just a contrived scenario that a professor puts together or whatever for you to create a strategy behind, they are not necessarily going to come up with the real world objections that that an actual client has or some of the some of the challenges you might face, um, you know, budgetary or or mindset or otherwise. So it was a super valuable experience. Definitely. So I want to talk about your career journey because you have such a unique perspective on PR, I think. I think it's super cool. So can you talk about your career experiences and what you do today? Uh, yeah, so I have a incredibly unorthodox path that I have chosen to take <laughs> in this life. Um, I actually started even before I went to college for PR. I went to two other colleges first. And, and took various programs and, and just never found quite like my niche. Um, and so when I was in college, I decided I wanted to work in sports PR, particularly in hockey. Uh, I had grown up, like I said, I'm from Canada. Uh, I, grew, I grew up my whole life. I played hockey. My dad coached my teams. I coached my sister's teams. I refed. I was just like all over hockey. So I decided, you know what, that's, that's the best way I'm going to go. I'm going to do PR, but I'm going to do like basically sports admin. 
sports marketing. And so I tailored all of my co-ops through college to be sports centric. So I did work with um, the Special Olympics. I did work for Hockey Night in Canada. Uh, I did work in the OHL, which is um, like a development league for the NHL. And then I ended up doing my final co-op in the NHL. And once I got there, I had worked like, you know, these four years, I thought this was the only thing I would ever want to do. And I, I did my job while I was there and it was great, but it was like, I just kind of got there and was like, ah, I don't know that this is everything that I thought that it was going to be. And so I left there with very little idea of what kind of direction I was going to take in terms of uh, what area of PR I would focus on and where exactly I would go trying to land my very first job. So I ended up back in my hometown and my mom, luckily for me, my mom had a duplex and one of the apartments wasn't rented. So I lived there for free for a while and I am like the world's best productive procrastinator. So, uh, I love to do things that are not like a waste of time, but are not central to what you, you know, should be doing in the moment. And so while I was productively procrastinating job applications, I decided to make some cupcakes and I made these cutesy little fondant toppers for them that I had seen people make on Food Network and stuff. And I ended up giving some to my mom and she was like, you have to sell these. You got to sell these. And I was like, absolutely not. No way. I'm going to, I'm going to screw up somebody's baby shower or their kid's fifth birthday or whatever. I have no idea what I'm doing. Uh, And my mom ignored me and she posted a picture of the cupcakes to her Facebook with the caption. My daughter is unemployed and lives in my basement. Please buy her cupcakes. (laughs) Um, And from then on, I just, I had a constant stream of orders. It, I just kind of got thrust head first into the baking world, which I had never expected to be in. Um, and within two years, I had opened my storefront of my bakery. And instead of being a PR professional, I was now a cake artist. Um, but I used my PR skills and, and what I had learned throughout my co-ops and throughout my education to really help me to launch my business. And so I think that I had a unique perspective compared to most people in the culinary profession who are artists, not business people. And I had that business and marketing PR background to back me up. And so I was able to build uh, a very successful bakery largely through earned media um, very quickly. So even before I had opened my storefront, we were, my brand was pretty well known uh, locally to me. And so I kept doing that. I was, I was making cakes, pumping out cakes, and I continued to leverage my, my public relations uh, experience to help with my business. Um, But more recently, I, it, I struggled with realizing that I was, um, unique in in that PR knowledge and PR experience in the business world and I kind of just assumed that most people knew how to do those things and knew how to get publicity for themselves and it it took a few other people to convince me that that was absolutely not the case um 
And so more recently, I've been getting asked to teach about PR to bakers and wedding industry professionals, because like I said, those people are artists. They don't they didn't go to business school by and large. Uh, that's kind of the, the, that's kind of the career trajectory that I am on now is teaching uh, wedding professionals and sweetpreneurs how to leverage earned media to increase their recognition, grow their credibility and bolster their revenue. And in a lot of cases to, to include new revenue streams as well, because you talk about writing articles and, and other such things. Um, so that's, that's where I'm at now. Well, I think that's so cool. And I think that's so important that you're doing that to help those, you know, small business owners, because there is so many opportunities to get your business out there. I mean, especially with social media and, you know, these speaking of Harrow, we we're talking about before the recording Harrow's, I mean, just looking on there and, you know, taking advantage of all these different pitch angles and things going on. I th- feel like there's so many opportunities to jump in if you have the knowledge. And so that's great that you're sharing your expertise with them. Well, exactly. And I think that, you know, when you are either a veteran business owner or a new business owner now, everything that people throw at you is so social media heavy. Like it's like just, you just market through social media and there is nothing else. There is digital market marketing and specifically social media marketing and nothing else exists. And, you know, the problem that I have with that is that we don't own our own social media channels. So it, at any day, at any time, Instagram can just be like, we don't like you. You don't have an account anymore. <laughs> and if the only way that you reach your customer base is through your Instagram account or your Facebook account or your TikTok account, like that can disappear instantaneously. And so while the advent of social media is, is a phenomenal addition to traditional media and like media relations in particular, I really think that it's on addition to that and that a lot of people have forgotten the art of media relations or it's just never been taught to, to newer upcoming people. And I think that that's a travesty because especially now journalists, like they have no time. They're just, you know, clamoring for stories and for content because newsrooms are being cut and, and there is no time for them to, you know, foster to look out for who's the up and comer and and who are we going to feature and how are we going to get that feature they're like tell me who you want me to feature because I don't have the time to find them on my own so I think that it's a really big missed opportunity in most businesses oh yeah definitely I remember that Facebook shortage that was like a few months ago where everyone was like crazy like what are we going to do like our main channels down and I read an article that was similar to what you were saying and I think it was PR news talking about like how to have a backup plan for your business and yeah and about the journalists as well I mean so many times I mean you look on muckrack or some of these you know PR you know databases and you see like someone covers you know small businesses but now because of the shortages they're going on all these different topics and so everything's so crazy. So I definitely agree on that as well. And so speaking more on your baking career. So I saw that you were on the food network. And so I love watching those shows and seeing all the baking and the cool cakes and cupcakes. So what was that experience like? And can you give us a little behind the scenes of that? Yeah, that was a super fun experience. So we filmed, we were actually supposed to film um, in 2020, but obviously because of the pandemic that got delayed. So we filmed last January, January, 2021. 
Um, and uh, the show that I was on is called The Big Bake. And it originated on Food Network Canada, but it's been bought out by um, Food Network USA. And so we were tasked with building a cake that was five feet tall within five hours, uh, which is like hardly possible. Um, (laughs) It seems not that crazy, I think, when you're not in the baking world. And now I'm so uh, into the minutia of the baking world that I'm like, that's that's not okay. (laughs) This is not an acceptable (laughs) task. Um, But we did it. We made it work. We did not win. Um, But we put together a cake that I am incredibly proud of. It was myself, uh, actually, my my partner, um, we he helps me to run the bakery too. Um, And then a friend of mine from Wisconsin who had previously been on the Food Network a few times. And uh, so we made a beautiful cake that was five feet tall and 700 pounds in five <laughs> hours. And it was a wonderful experience. It was a crazy day of 22 hours of filming. Um, wow. <laughs> yeah, 22 hours on set. So it was a long day. My body hated me after that. But, uh, but it was a lot of fun and, and something that I never expected that I would get to be involved in. So I was super grateful to have that opportunity. Wow, I can't believe the cake was that heavy and so big and so tall. I mean, I I, I always see like those dramatic shots that they show on the show, like dun dun, like this is the challenge. So I bet that was a lot of work in 22 hours. Wow, that's a lot to be filming too. Yeah, it was a it was a long day. We didn't expect it to be quite that long, but COVID protocols for filming and everything made it uh, made it drag out for sure. But uh, but it was a lot of fun. It sounds like a lot of fun. And so after the show. How did that help you with your personal branding for your, you know, bakery and also for you as a PR professional? Did you feel like you had more visibility because of the show? Yeah. So for the bakery, I leveraged it. Uh, again, we were still, when it aired was uh, April, 2021. And in Ontario, we were still under very severe lockdowns. Like couldn't even go to a restaurant, no indoor dining, nothing. So usually when somebody is on the Food Network, they'll often throw like a a viewing party, they'll rent out a bar or something and have everybody over and we couldn't do that. So uh, what we did instead was uh, we created a big bake blind cake. And I sold cakes that people didn't know what they would look or taste like until the judges revealed what our cake looked like and what it tasted like. And so we sold them in these opaque boxes, pre-sold them and there were strict instructions that couldn't open them, you know, the like, and then, so they got to experience our cake along with the judges, which I thought was such a fun component. And I got a lot of feedback from other bakers. And now I somehow have a bunch of friends who end up on food network and, (laughs) and, and do all these filming things. And they're like, I never would have thought of that kind of scenario when you're stuck to not doing a physical launch, but it's, it was so much fun and my community really was able to rally behind me as a result of that. Um, so that was how we promoted the bakery as a result. Obviously we sent out, you know, we, we did our regular press circuit stuff too, but uh, that was a fun way that we connected with our consumers. And then uh, for my personal brand, I think it just is, is something that kind of lends an air of credibility to my niche. So it's something that allows me, you know, there's a million people who do marketing, there's a million people who do PR. And one of the reasons that 
I teach specifically bakers and wedding industry professionals is because I know what it's like to be a baker and a wedding industry professional. And so I understand the struggles that they face and I understand, um, you know, how most of them think and what they're lacking in their business in terms of, uh, or, or what potential they're not reaching in terms of publicity. And so just having that, you know, the Food Network logo under my name, I think lends a little bit of credibility to, um, to myself when I'm talking to bakers and, and telling them, hey, you know, here, here are ways you can get press and you can get featured. And then they're like, oh, okay, well, you've been on the Food Network. So you probably know a little bit of what you're talking about. Well, I love your idea that you had with the cakes that that's that was definitely your PR side coming through into your baking. <laughs> yeah, I, so I always my partner and I always talk about this. Um, and so his name's Rob and he'll say he's like, you're a, a very good cake decorator, but like, by no means and I'm, I'm well aware of this by no means am I the world's best cake decorator. <laughs> I am not I, I will never be like the avant garde. Um, you know, the person bringing the trends into the cake artistry world. I, where I shine is definitely in the marketing of my business. So I have enough skill as a cake artist to, to have a business I can stand behind as a marketer, but my real passion and my real, um, you know, unique selling point is in the marketing that I'm able to produce for my business as a result of my professional experience. That's awesome. And so you touched on a bit about gaining that credibility, you know, from having that food network under your name and all of that and how you translate that to wedding professionals and bakers. So what are some of your other tips that you share with these small business owners uh, in the wedding and baking industry to really level up their PR? So I think that the biggest thing that most of these uh, businesses suffer from is an imposter syndrome which obviously we all suffer from and I still get it even in PR and then I you know, look at my features and what I've gotten for clients. And I'm like, no, okay, you're being crazy. You're out, you're, you're good at what you do. Um, but the number one thing that I hear from my students is that there's nothing special about them that the media will want to feature. Like there's nothing important enough that they do. And so a lot of what I try to instill in them is the confidence and and the creativity to, to shape their stories. So it's not that you're not special enough. It's that if you frame it as I'm not special enough, then you won't be. But if you figure out how to craft your message and craft your story in a way that is interesting to the media and interesting to the general public specifically, then you are special enough. And then, and then you are worthy of, of these features and, and of this recognition. And so, you know, I will tell them, to, if they need to go out and seek awards, if that's what you need to have under your belt to feel that you are accomplished enough to be worthy of, of features, but you don't have to do that. If it's a matter of that, you, you know, want to do a special event at your bakery and you want to host a, a cupcake decorating competition for kids, like that's a great idea to try to get some local media coverage. And, and I would say the other, you know, the, the most, the other most important thing I tell them is that like no media is too small. So I think that people assume that they need to be in Forbes and the New York times to be relevant and to be, to gain success. And I'm like, when you're a local brand that does less for your bottom line 
than your local newspaper does. And so you can't overlook the local aspect and because you're going to get a lot, it's going to be a, a, a lot easier to enter that media market. Um, B, it's not going to take as much as your, of your time to figure out pitches for that kind of market because you can have the local perspective, the heartwarming story. Um, but C, that's what your customer base is going to be focused on is, is what's happening locally to you. And so it's really cool that you're in, if you're in a, if you're in a big time magazine, but I can say like, I've gotten less results from being in HuffPost than I have being in the Sudbury Star, which is my local newspaper with like a 100,000 person circulation. So I would say those are the two main things I say is like, you are important enough. It's just a matter of reframing that perspective and that no media is too small of media. Those are some great points you just brought up. I, some of those things I would never thought of that way. So that's so awesome that you bring that up. Um, yeah, I think it's so cool that, you know, that you can be targeted and who you're talking to. I mean, there's so much information out there and especially with that local aspect, how you were talking about, I mean, that's so interesting that you say that you get more, um, you know, action from this, the smaller, more local publications rather than the national. And I mean, that's, this is something that a lot of my guests this season um, of my show have been talking about being more targeted, more intentional, because people are looking for that real connection with businesses and your different clients that you're working with. So that's such an interesting perspective. And even that, you know, imposter syndrome that you were talking about, I think that goes into my next uh, question for you, which was, you know, how do you deal with clients that you work with that are skeptical of PR? And so what was, what is something besides that, um, you know, imposter syndrome, you know, talking about that, what would you tell them to kind of make them see the value in PR? So the number one thing, or the easiest thing, I guess, for me is to just leverage my own personal experience as a bakery owner with uh, the success I found through public relations. I built a six-figure bakery in six months using nothing but earned media. Uh, so it's very easy for me to give that example and, and be like, you know, if you think it doesn't work, I, I am the living proof. But um, I think there's also something to be said for, for being selective of your clients. And so I don't need to educate somebody who is so staunchly a disbeliever in earned media that, that that's like a slog every day. I don't, I have other things I can spend my time on that are far more <laughs> valuable than trying to convert someone. So I tend to work with clients who are receptive. Uh, the vast majority of my clients will come to me when I teach live or, or virtually. And, and then they'll seek me out after the fact and be like, I didn't realize that this was such a valuable resource, but I can't believe I didn't know that. Like, can you help me to, create a start a strategy or, or figure out an implementation plan or whatever. Um, so I would say like, yeah, a, I just, I don't deal with people who, who need a ton of convincing. I understand if you work in house in particular, that that's going to be difficult. And I have done that. Um, I've worked in, I worked in a few places between my co-ops and when I went full-time with the bakery and in a few instances, that was, that was an issue, but, um, I would say that measurement is, is the biggest proponent in that regard and, and simply being able to, to show the value, to show the ROI. So even one of the things I tell my bakery clients is, you know, if you have an 
first of all, you need to have an intake form for your clients. If you're doing custom work, they need to fill something out because you got to vet them and, and see if they're the right fit. But on that intake form, your very last question has to be, how did you hear about us? And if you don't have that question, then you have no idea where your clients are coming from. And so for me, 60% of my clients come from local media. And so I think being able to show those measurement metrics and show that, A, you know, when you're in a small local business, once you have your media kit prepped and ready to go, it's very little input, uh, very little time input to, to switch up your press release for, for a new announcement. Um, but that return on investment is awfully high. So I think just illustrating that and then being selective about, you know, if somebody's a big naysayer, I'm just going to be like, I, I think we're probably not a great fit. <laughs> yeah, definitely. And I love how you bring up the ROI factor because I feel like for so many people who are in strictly business and they don't have that, you know, PR or marketing sense and kind of because a lot of things we do aren't exactly measurable all the time. There's like different ways to show the value of it. So I'm so glad that you brought that up, especially for listeners, because I think that is a big part of the process that we go through as PR professionals. And going back to what we were talking about before, too, I forgot to mention this, but it's always so interesting to me how, you know, clients always bring up little tidbits that, you know, we think are so important. That's a great pitch angle but they think they're just like not that important and like you're like oh my god no that could be like a perfect pitch angle like I'm crafting a media list and this whole thing so I just find that interesting as well exactly I I pull out the story of of my mom going against my <laughs> my advice every time that I am I'm talking about my business journey because it's hilarious and people love it and they think they're like oh my god your mom they're like, I can't, I can't believe that she, you know, and everybody, it's just always a conversation starter and I'm not afraid to leverage, you know, any part of my story or journey to, to try to get that coverage. Cause I have an understanding of, of how that can impact my growth, both personally and, and as a business. Yes. And so it's so uh, interesting how you brought up that factor of, you know, putting where had you here, but also at the end of your, you know, orders and, you know, working independently with these small businesses for, you know, local media and all that. So it's definitely a unique, um, you know, facet of communications and in different industry. So, you know, how for listeners who may want to get into this type of PR and working with wedding planners and bakeries, what is that world like? I know you've talked about it a bit, but um, you know, what is something that you would want someone to know if they wanted to get into this industry of PR? So I think what I would say in that regard is that it is ripe for the pickings. Um, like I said, most people in this industry are not business people. They are typically artists, creatives, uh, planners. And so no one is on a local level. No one is taking advantage of public relations to build their brand. Like I said, everybody is so swallowed up in social media, but think about the number of local wedding photographers and, and maybe I'm just too in my own industry, but like I could name 12 wedding photographers off the top of my head who are hyper local to me and who are super active on social media. I cannot name you one of them who takes advantage of local earned media. So everyone in, in both those industries, wedding industry and, you know, baking or cake industry, they are relying almost solely on social media or word of mouth. And 
almost no one is trying to tap into the earned media. So I will say that like, it only took me maybe three press releases before every single time there was any bit of news in either of those industries that people from radio, television, and print were approaching me. And I don't send press releases anymore unless I'm, you know, saying something like, hey, we're going to be on the Food Network. You want to do an interview? Um, I don't have to send pitches anymore because people are coming to me because there is no one else in my industries in town that is actively fostering relationships with, with journalists and, and the media. So I would say that that is the biggest thing is even if you're not perfect at it, just figure out how to do it on a baseline and, and start implementing it because the media is not used to hearing from those people. And so they will appreciate having a contact in either of those two industries. Yeah, I just find that so interesting about that local media aspect, because I see that myself. I went to school and I'm from Massachusetts. I'm from Worcester, Massachusetts. Um, and I went to school in New York and near the city. So I saw like all those big media things. And, you know, you hear about all those businesses, but then now coming home and like getting my education in PR and uh, journalism, I was a PR and journalism major. I see like so many missed opportunities for these businesses that I've, you know, loved my whole life. Like, oh my God, like they could be in the newspaper. Like, what are they doing? Like they should promote this. So it's, I just think it's so interesting what you're doing. Right. I actually, I have a lot of friends locally who I'm like, can I just please write you a press release for this thing? Cause you were <laughs> not plan You were not planning to promote this in earned media. I mean, social sure, but you weren't planning to, to promote this through traditional media relations in any way. And this is like a big deal. This is a thing that the media would love. I can make you a darling, you know, in a couple of days, if you just take the time to actually, you know, write a press release. So um, I think that, yeah, it's just, it's such a missed opportunity among small business owners. And I think that most small business owners think, you know, whether you're in, in the wedding or baking industries, overall, small, small business owners, like we just don't have time to spare. So, well, you know, that takes too long, that takes too long. And so I usually just implore people to actually think about the amount of time that they spend running their social media. And I'm like, can we not take, you know, maybe two hours of that? If we take two hours from your week of social <laughs> media, I can probably quadruple the results. And of course, like media coverage, it's not guaranteed, but neither is social media. The algorithm's changing every day. <laughs> you can go from, oh, I had 5,000 views yesterday to five people liked my post today. And, and you never really know exactly where that's going. And so I think that it's, it just requires a, a, a perspective shift among small business owners to prioritize their time. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, talking about that social media factor as well, I feel like when I see a business on Instagram or Facebook, I find them much more impressive. And this might just be me with my PR hat on, but um, I find them much more impressive when they have like a press tab or we were recently featured in this. And that goes back to that credibility factor we were talking about, because I feel like if someone's going to decide between two bakeries and they see one that was in the local newspaper and one that just, you know, posting pictures of their cupcakes, they're definitely going to go with the one that had the local media coverage. Exactly. And I actually also going back to the imposter syndrome, one of the things I counsel a lot of both my clients, my students and just other, um, you know, bakery owners in general is, is we all suffer, suffer from the imposter syndrome. And I'm like, but when you put it on your website and you have the as featured in or as seen on tab, and you look at that, you can't look at that every day 
and see it growing and see, you know, these impressive accomplishments on there and still feel like, uh, I don't know if I'm very good. Like, and, and, and I'll look at mine and I'm like, oh, you know what? It's, it's not a big deal. It's not a big deal. But then I'll see somebody else and I go, Hey, you know what? Um, I'm like, Oh, they, they were seen on, on food network. They're a big deal. And so then I have to be like, okay, but you were also seen on network ergo, you are a big deal. And so I, I tell my, my students to use it in almost like a mindfulness and self-care kind of way where like, look at, keep track of where you're featured and then use that as reminders of, of your worth on days where you feel like you are not as good or you are less than look at all these places that have featured you and written about you because they wouldn't do that if you were less than. Oh yeah, definitely. You can't tell other people you're the best if you don't think you're the best. (laughs) Exactly. And so from your work in hockey to then, you know, going into the wedding and bakery business, how did those two industries differ? And, you know, what were those two different experiences? How would you say media relations in both of those industries differ? Uh, so those were very vastly different experiences. Um, hockey sports in general are obviously highly male dominated. Um, when I was in that arena only because I can't think of a better word, but when I was in the sports (laughs) arena of, of media relations, uh, I faced a lot of, um, a lot of, of subtle discrimination or a lot of just, you know, people not thinking that I knew what I was talking about. I really had to work, you know, double time and, and twice as hard for people to understand that I actually knew what I was talking about. I I'm smart and I have a very good grasp on these things. And in the baking industry, it's highly female dominated. So I don't face that same Uh, barrier. It is a lot easier for me to educate in the baking industry and the wedding industry than it is in the sports industry, because people are more inclined to listen to me because I'm largely talking to women and, and not men, uh, you know, who think I'm there because I am really obsessed with hockey players or, or whatever. Um, And honestly, just on a personal level, uh, the baking, both the baking industry, being a cake artist and being um, a public relations professional in the baking industry is a lot more fulfilling to me than in hockey, which is something that I, I didn't expect. Like I said, I thought that I, I, I geared my entire college career to working in sports. And I thought that that was what I was going to do forever and just kind of move up the ranks. And it just didn't end up being for me. And, and I think that that's okay. And the most important thing to, to realize is that it's all right to change your mind and it's all right to change your mind, even if you don't have a suitable alternative right away. Yes. And it's so sad that those stereotypes, stereotyping is still happening in sports to women. Um, And that's why I love doing this show, because I feel like even though our industry is semi-female dominated, I feel like there's still sort of a balance there. Um, I think it's so important for women to tell their stories and how they get started in the industry, because it really inspires other women to, you know, jump in and see, oh, I, you know, identify with that story. And I'd love to hear from this person. So that's why I love, you know, doing this and having all these great women on like yourself. A hundred percent. I think that women also are more inclined to need a little bit more coaxing. 
like I said, I think the imposter syndrome runs a little more <laughs> deep in, in women than it does in men. Um, and so we need that little bit more coaching or that little bit more relatability in order to enter a field and, and with some confidence um, versus, versus men. And so I think it's, it's a little bit easier for us when there are role models and easily accessible uh, resources like your podcast for, for younger women to come in and be like, okay, people are doing this. Um, this is a thing. And, and there are other women who are successful in this arena. And so I can be too. Definitely. And so speaking of incredible women, I have one final question for you. And so I asked this to all my guests and it's in inspiration of Sophia Amoruso because she coined the phrase. So I always love to end the episode with someone who inspires my guests because I always love to end it on female empowerment because that is my complete goal on the show as I was just talking about. So Justine, who is your favorite girl boss? And it can be more than one. We've had that before. (laughs) That's okay. I only have one. Uh, so it's Arlene Dickinson, and I don't know if you know who she is, but she is um, a South African Canadian venture capitalist, and she was on uh, Dragon's Den, which is the Canadian version of Shark Tank, for twelve <laughs> for twelve seasons. And she specifically uh, works to create uh, or works to to fund and to market. Um, food and health brands. And so she has like a food startup company in based in Toronto. And she is a marketing professional by trade and ended up in venture capitalism. And I have looked up to her since I was a young teenager. Well, that's awesome. That's awesome. And every single time I ask this question, I learn about somebody new that I have to go follow after this. So I'm definitely going to follow her. And I, I like Dragon's Den better than Shark Tank. That's such a unique name. I like that. (laughs) Oh, it's a great show. And she's, she's a total badass. And she's for a lot of the season, she's the only woman. And so, but she's not afraid to, to give her opinion and, and, you know, take her stand. And, and so she was one of the first, I think, super visual female role models that was highly successful and 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 aggressive without being coined you know bitchy or whatever other derogatory words people (laughs) want to use to talk about to talk about successful women but so yeah she's always been uh, an inspiration to me Oh, yeah. And those role models are so important. Like we were just saying, I mean, I feel like I look up to so many women in the industry because I'm like, oh, my God, like I want to be like them. And, you know, like we we're saying with, you know, seeing that vision of them in the communications industry is so important. So I'll definitely have to go follow her after this and check out all of her business and all of that. But Justine, thank you so much for coming on the show. This was so awesome. I feel like we got such a unique perspective from you from what you do in the wedding and baking industry. So just thank you so much for being on. Thank you for having me. Thanks for listening. Did you enjoy this episode? Head to Apple Podcasts and leave us a five-star review. Want to drop us a line? Click the link in our Instagram bio to leave us a voicemail. And who knows, it might even end up on the show. See you next week for more tips and tricks of the trade.